You know, it recently dawned on me that it's possible to get to the end of the Christmas season. You've eaten the cookies, you've sang the songs, you've given all the gifts, you've done all the normal Christmas stuff. You may even have heard part of the story of Christmas, but yet you didn't actually hear the entirety of the Christmas story. And so tonight I've calculated, this is probably about the 100th Christmas message I've given in my 23 years of being a pastor. So I thought instead of trying to be super creative, let's just read the Christmas story together and look about the name that is above every other name. That's the series we've been doing here at Exponential throughout the the month of December. It's just talking about the the different names of God, the different titles that Jesus has been given. And so tonight we're going to talk about the most important title that he has. Now, there's four different accounts of Jesus' life. There are what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I find it quite fascinating that Mark, he doesn't even talk about Jesus' birth. Mark, he just jumps right into Jesus at the age of 30 doing his public ministry. He just skips over all the early stuff. And then we get to John. And John is actually the one that we've been looking at the most here throughout this series in December. John isn't really as concerned with the what happened at Jesus' birth, but more the why was Jesus born. And so at least it's just them with Matthew and with Luke. Now, Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was a tax collector, and eventually he sits down and he writes the Gospel of Matthew, talking about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and then ultimately his resurrection. And then the other guy that writes, his name is Luke. Now, Luke is really, really fascinating, and how Luke starts his gospel is with a very, very simple word. It's the word many. You're like, well, that's a weird way to start out a story. But we actually looked at this a couple months ago here at Exponential. We did a whole series called Evidence to see, are the gospels actually true? Is there actual historical proof for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? In other words, as Christians, do we just believe like in a fairy tale that, you know, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away lived Jesus in like a blue ox? Or is it like actual evidence that we can look at from history, historical documents and other evidence to see, is it true or not? And what we discovered is that Luke starts his gospel with the word many because he says, many people are writing about the things that I'm about to write about. Now, Luke wasn't actually one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Luke was a doctor. He was a historian. And he investigated all the different documents, and he interviewed all the different people, and he wanted to give the most full account of Jesus' life that there possibly was. And so he says, many people have done this, but I'm going to write to you a very orderly account of everything that has happened. And so he starts with the events just before Jesus' birth, and then he goes all the way to Jesus' post-resurrection appearances as well. And so that's where we'll begin today as we read through the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Luke writes this, God sent the angel Gabriel to the town of Nazareth in Galilee with a message for a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to Joseph, a descendant of King David. The angel greeted Mary and said, you are truly blessed. The Lord is with you. Let me stop here for a second. If an angel just like suddenly shows up to you, that's going to scare the living daylights out of you, isn't it? Like, whoa! (laughs) But even more so than being scared, Mary felt another emotion. We read about it in the following verses then, verses 29 to 31. Mary was what? What does it say here? Mary was, she was confused by the angel's words, and she wondered what they meant. 
Then the angel told Mary, don't be afraid. God is pleased with you, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be, his name will be, his name will be, his name will be Jesus. Now, did you know that that's not actually what Mary would have heard? She wouldn't have heard the angel say, Jesus. Remember, Mary doesn't speak what we speak. She spoke Hebrew. Now, what's interesting is Jesus is actually Latin. And it's the Latin translation of the Greek word esos, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua. And so that's what she would have heard. Did you are to name your son Yeshua? Now, I don't know why we still use the Latin version and we call him Jesus, because again, we're using the Latin translation of a Greek word, which is the translation of the Hebrew word. Most of the time, what you know, translators do is they'll take the original Hebrew, they'll figure out what's the English word for it. They'll take the Greek, they'll figure out what's the English word for it. And so Yeshua, the direct translation then into English, is Joshua. That's very important that you know that, that that's what she would have heard, that you were to name your son Yeshua, or what we would say is Joshua. How many of you ever heard the name of Joshua before when it relates to Scripture? Have you ever heard of this? This guy is a guy from the Old Testament of Scripture. He was the one that took over after Moses was gone. Joshua was the one that led the nation of Israel, or actually the, the, what would become the nation of Israel. He led the people into the promised land. Now, again, this is all going to be important a little bit later. But that's what Mary would have heard. You are to name him Yeshua, or what we would say is Joshua. The angel continues on then in verses 32 to 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of God Most High. The Lord God will make him king as his ancestor David was, and he will reign over Israel forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. All right, now let's switch over to what Matthew records about this. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus Christ was born. A young woman named Mary was engaged to Joseph from King David's family. But before they were married, she learned that she was going to have a baby by God's Holy Spirit. So Matthew's telling the exact same story that we just read, but he doesn't give nearly the amount of details as what Luke did. Why is that? Well, it's simple. Matthew actually wants to look at the story from the perspective of Joseph. So we continue on then, verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a good man and did not want to embarrass Mary in front of everybody. So he decided to quietly call off the wedding. That makes sense, right? If you're engaged and you find out that your fiancé is pregnant, it's not yours, you're going to call off the wedding. Now, what you may not know is in that day and time, Joseph actually had the right to call her out on this and have her stoned to death. But Joseph doesn't want to do that. As Matthew records here, Joseph's a really good guy. Joseph, he loved Mary. He, he wanted to spend the rest of his life with Mary. He thought that's what was going to happen. And so he decides, instead of making a big deal about this, I'm just going to quietly call off the wedding. Now, as he's thinking about all this, and he's, he's thinking, man, should I do this or should I not do this? We read this, verses 20 to 21. While Joseph was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, the baby that Mary will have is from the Holy Spirit. 
go ahead and marry her, and then after her baby is born, name him what? Name him? Name him Jesus. But that's, again, not what he would have heard. He would have heard the angel say, Yeshua or Joshua. And so right away as he hears this, I've got to imagine Joseph, he's going, oh, I know who he is then. Because the name Joshua means the Lord saves. And Joseph realizes that, oh my goodness, my son is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the savior of the world. He is the one that we've been hoping would come to save us from the Romans because the Romans, they've been kicking our butts. Remember, in that day and time, the whole world was being ruled by the Roman Empire. In the nation of Israel, God's people, they were sick and tired of the Romans telling them what to do. He's like, he's going to come and save us from the Romans. This is good news. And so, God, this is your son, but I'm going to treat him as my son, and I'm going to raise him to go out and be this mighty warrior, just like Joshua was with my ancestors many, many years ago. That's why he is Yeshua. He's going to be like Joshua and kick some butt. But the angel's like, um, excuse me, sir, um, I didn't actually get to finish my sentence. Can, can I finish my sentence now? Joseph's like, yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead and finish up. The angel says, as I was saying, after her baby is born, name him Jesus, because he will save his people. And Joseph's like, yeah, that's what I meant. He's going to save us from the Romans. And the angel's like, dude, I'm not done yet. Can I please finish? Go ahead, Joseph says. The angel says, after her baby is born, name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I guarantee you, in that very moment, Joseph's reaction was every single gif that's on the screen right now. Right? He's like, what? <laughs> what? Save the people from our sins? We don't need to be saved from our sins. We need to be saved from the Romans. I mean, we've got a pretty elaborate system just a couple miles up the road. It's called the temple. It's called the law of Moses. It's called sacrifice. That's what saves us from our sin. We don't need to be saved from our sin. We need to be saved from the Romans. But the angel reiterates, no, the biggest issue that you have is being saved from your sin. And I want to say that to all of you here tonight that are live with us. I want to say this to you that are watching online. Welcome to our Hagerstown, Maryland campus. Great to have all of you with us tonight as well. And anybody else that's tuning in all around the world. The biggest thing that will ever happen to you is being saved from your sins. That's the greatest need that you have in your life is to be saved from your sin. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what's happening, the circumstances and the situations of your life right now or what is to come. The greatest thing that you need saved from is your sin. Now, Joseph wakes up and he realizes that, you know what, this, this was more than a dream. This was actually a vision from God. And I, I need to actually follow through with what God has instructed me to do here. We'll switch back then to, to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. 
Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the whole empire. This was the first census to take place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem, since he was from the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to him in marriage and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the child to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I love this because Caesar Augustus, who was the most powerful man on the face of the planet, actually helps to orchestrate God's plan here. He helps to fulfill the scripture that said that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. You get what I'm saying here? If it wasn't for the government telling Mary and Joseph what to do, they would have stayed in Nazareth. And that's where Jesus would have been born. But no, the scripture said that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. And so unknowingly, this great ruler, Caesar Augustus, he issues this decree saying, everybody, you must return back to your hometown. There's a census going on. Now, I want you to think about this from Mary and Joseph's perspective. This is pretty inconvenient when you're nine months pregnant, right? You got to go all the way back. And we're not talking like, hey, let's get on Southwest and book a flight. We're talking, they're either walking this, or, you know, many times we see in our manger scenes, our nativity scenes, you know, a donkey. This isn't convenient at all, but there's an important lesson for us here. And that is that sometimes the government's inconvenience in our lives is actually God helping, or, or the, the government actually helping to orchestrate a plan and a purpose that God has that's bigger than anybody else can see. So we continue on then in verses 8 to 20. And there were shepherds residing in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Just then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after they had seen the child, they spread the message that they had received about him. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, which was just as the angel had told them. Have you ever wondered why did the angels show up to the shepherds? I mean, why not show up to the religious leaders? Why not show up to the government leaders? Why not show up to, to like business people or, or farmers? Why the shepherds? Well, we don't know exactly why. But it, here's at least the theory for you. 
Shepherds were what was considered ceremonially unclean. In other words, they weren't allowed into the temple area. They were unclean. I mean, think about it. If you're following after sheep and lambs all day long, I mean, you're going to step in some stuff, right? You're, you're going to get unclean. You're going to smell unclean. You're going to be dirty. And so they just weren't allowed to be in the temple, which is sort of ironic because think about it. They were the ones providing the animals that were needed most in the temple, but yet they themselves weren't allowed into the temple area. And so this angel appears to them. It's almost as if the angel was saying, look, guys, I've got some good news for you. The ultimate lamb who's going to take away the sins of the entire world has been born tonight in Bethlehem. And guys, here's the other good news with it. He's going to take away the sin of all the world. In other words, people aren't going to need to go to the temple any longer for their sin to be forgiven. Guys, here's good news for you specifically. Shepherds. This baby wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born to prestige. He wasn't born with privilege. He wasn't born in pristine conditions. No, guys, he was born in an environment you're very, very familiar with, amongst the sights and the sounds and the smells that are part of your everyday life. And that was good news for them, and that's good news for us as well. See, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care what you smell like. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you're male or female, black or white, Asian, Hispanic. I don't care if you're rich or you're poor. I don't care who you are. The good news of this season is that Jesus came, born as a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying there in a manger, so that ultimately one day he could live the perfect and sinless life that you and I could never live, and then die on the cross for the life that we are living. That was good news for the shepherds, and it should be good news to us as well. And so the shepherds, they say, you know what? We need to go check this out for ourselves. And I want to say the exact same thing to you. Check out Jesus for yourself. Read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going, Gilbert, I don't believe that they're true. I mean, how do we know that they're actually Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that wrote those things? How do we know it wasn't like people hundreds of years later just pretending to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, I already mentioned to you at the beginning of the, the message here, just last month, we did a six-week series called Evidence. And what we did is we took the same principles that cold case detectives use in how they solve cold case murders, and we used the same principles that detectives use in evaluating eyewitness testimony, and we applied it to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we applied it to Peter and James and Paul and their writings to see, is what they are writing true or not? And so I'd encourage you, go to on our website, exponential.church, or go to our Facebook page, go to our YouTube channel, watch that series, because what you're going to discover is the facts, not faith, the facts are so overwhelming that Jesus is a real historical person, and that real guys named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were there, and they witnessed all this, and they wrote about it. The facts are so overwhelming that it would actually take you more faith not to believe than it takes to believe. So like the angels, check it out for yourself. 
Be like Mary and ponder up all these things in your heart. And then finally, I want you to remember the words of Jesus' favorite friend. His name was John. Jesus had 12 disciples, but then there was an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. But even amongst the three then, John was his favorite. John was the one that we see leaning up against Jesus at the Last Supper. John is the, is the one that when Jesus is hanging there on the cross, Jesus looks down, he looks at John, and he says, Mary is now your mother. You need to take care of her. John is the one that, out of all 12 disciples, is the only one that wasn't martyred, other than Judas. Judas had committed suicide. But the other 10 disciples are all martyred for their faith. They keep talking about that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And all the religious leaders and all the government leaders keep saying, shut up about this Jesus guy. Don't talk about him anymore. And they kept saying, we have just got to report what we've seen with our own eyes, that you killed him, but God raised him again from the dead. And eventually they all die for talking about their faith, except for John. Now, it isn't that they didn't try. They actually arrested John, and at one point they put him down in the boiling oil. They thought that that was going to kill him. It didn't kill him. And so they like, well, okay, that was weird. And so they locked him up in prison. So John spends the entirety, or almost the entirety of his life, of his adult life, in prison. And so John is now an old man. And he's there in prison. He's like, all my friends have written about Jesus. They've told the story from their standpoint. He decides he's going to write his own biography of Jesus. But remember what I shared with you at the beginning of the message. John really wasn't concerned with the what happened at Jesus' birth. He was more concerned with the why was Jesus born. And he was concerned with why did Jesus have to die. And so he's sitting there and he's already written a little bit. He's like, I've got to summarize this in some way. What are the perfect words for this? And that's when the Holy Spirit inspires him with probably the most famous verse that there is. Many of you already know it. It's John 3.16. Here's what John says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I emphasize that word in for a reason. See, there is a difference between believing in Jesus and believing that Jesus just lived. Again, the series evidence that I did, and I encourage you to, to go and watch, there's going to be a lot of good facts there. But eventually you got to get beyond just the facts. And that's where faith does come in. It's not a believe, or you have to believe in, not believe that. You're going, Gilbert, I'm confused by this. What in the world do you mean? Well, let me give you an illustration here. My stool that I have here on the stage, I'm going to ask you three questions about it. Not trick questions. Just answer them the way that they sound. First is, do you believe that this exists? Okay. Question number two, do you believe that this stool could hold me up? Okay. Question number three, what's the only way we could prove that this stool would hold me up? I'd have to sit in it. See, that's the difference between believing that something exists and then actually believing in. 
You see, when, when I'm up here, I can believe that that's going to hold me up, but the only way to prove it is I actually have to sit in it. In other words, it's not until I'm sitting here that I show whether I really trust or not. Do I really have faith or not? And really, that's what Christianity is all about. That God himself was born in this world, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then died on the cross so that you can't have your sins forgiven. Notice I said can have. It's not automatic. You see, we aren't born as robots. God didn't put a string on our back that when... When he pulls the string, we say, oh, God, I love you and I worship you. Now, you see, true love requires freedom of choice. And so God gives us the choice. Do you want to have a relationship with me or not? Do you truly love me or not? And you can choose not. That's free will. But ultimately, something has to be done about your sin, my sin, everybody's sin. And either you can choose to try to pay for your sin on your own because you've been a a good person, and let me just tell you a little uh, spoiler alert here, only perfect people make it into heaven. And so if you say, I'm going to try to just be a good person and make it on my own, well, even just one sin ever in your life disqualifies you. And so that's what the gospel is all about, that Jesus lived that perfect life and he died in your place. He died for your sins so that all your sins can be wiped away so that when God looks at you, he sees you as perfect. But just knowing that is not enough. It's not a belief that something happened. It's a belief in Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you tonight, because all of you in the room here sitting, I'm assuming most of you online are as well. You're sitting in a chair right now. You're putting faith and trust in that chair to hold you up. Let me ask you, are you doing the same thing with Jesus? Is it just a faith that Jesus lived, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus wants to forgive me? Or have you actually put your trust in Jesus? him. I'm going to go over it again. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the the mistakes I've made, the, the people that I've hurt. But here's some good news for you. Right after John 3.16, the next verse is just as important. John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Remember, that is what the angel said to Joseph. Your son is going to come and save the people of the world of their sin. So let me ask you one more time. Do you have a belief that Jesus was born into the world? Or do you actually have a belief in Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Let's pray together. Father, We thank you for this day. We thank you for this evening and the opportunity to come together to worship you through 
song and, and through just gathering together as, as uh, your family. And, and Lord, we thank you for your word. And your word is powerful. Lord, we've gone through the story from beginning to end of your birth. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit has just been speaking to each and every person that are either here live or watching online or watching sometime in the future, that Jesus, you are real. And you ultimately died for our sin, just as the angel had promised. That you are Yeshua, you are the modern Joshua, the Lord saves. And so, Father, I pray that each and every person that's here today and and watching online, that they haven't yet made that decision to follow you, to, to truly put their trust in you, that today would be the day of their salvation. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed here this evening, if you have never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never asked him to, to be the leader of your life, you've never actually put your faith in him. Again, not just believing in him, but actually putting your full trust and faith in him. If that's you, again, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just raise your hand up nice and high here so I can see it this evening, I'll acknowledge it. Yes, down here. Yes, sir, right there. Yes, sir, back here, down here. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir, down here. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am, over here. Yes, sir, over there. Anybody else? Yes, sir, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me my sins. Thank you. I saw that hand. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Those of you that are online, there's a button that's popping up right now in the chat that says that you're making this decision. You can just press that, and uh, that'll let us know that you've made the decision. Anybody else here this evening? Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. I want to put my trust in you. Anyone else here this evening? If not, I'm going to ask everybody here and everybody online, if you just participate and pray this prayer with me out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth as a little baby. And thank you that you were the promise. You were Yeshua. You are the Lord who saves. Thank you that you grew up, lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross so that I can be forgiven of my sin. I acknowledge right now I haven't been perfect. And I need you. I need your forgiveness. And so I'm putting my trust in you. Putting my faith in you. Putting my hope in you. I'm putting the remainder of my life into your hands. It's no longer about me. It's all about you. And so I'm going to go wherever it is you want me to go. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll give whatever it is you want me to give. And I'm going to serve whoever it is you want me to serve. Not for my glory, but for your glory. Let your will be done on the earth just as it is in heaven. Jesus, thank you for those that made this decision tonight, both here and those online as well. Lord, right now, your promise is that your Holy Spirit has come into their lives to now lead and guide and to direct them, to help to convict and to convince them 
of what is right and what is wrong. And Lord, we know your spirit doesn't uh, possess us, but your spirit is just there to nudge us in the right way. And so, Lord, help all of us, whether we already made this decision or not, help all of us to each and every day listen to that still small voice of your spirit and be obedient no matter how crazy it is of what it is that you may ask us to do because we know that your ways are always better than our ways. Jesus, thank you again for who you are and all you have done and what this season represents, that you came so that you could ultimately die for us. Thank you again, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, can we give those that uh, both here in the room and online made a decision to follow Jesus a huge hand? That is the most important decision that you ever make in your life. I love my wife, Lisa, with all my heart. Uh, we got married on June the 3rd, 1995, so what we're coming up on almost 30 years now. But as much as what I love her, I love Jesus even more. He is the greatest decision I ever made, July 27th, 1993. I prayed the same prayer that many of you prayed, and he changed my life, and he's going to change your life as well. But as I say all the time, I do doesn't mean I'm done. The same way that I just didn't say, you know, at the altar when I married Lisa, I do and I love you. And then I never said, I love you again. And I never did anything to love her and serve her. It's the same way with Jesus. And so we've put together a little guide for those of you that have made that decision. Uh, if you go on our website, exponential.church, on our connection card, you can get that guide. For those of you that are watching online, again, there in the chat, there's a link for that. That's going to pop up so that you can uh, uh, get access to that. But we want to give you that little booklet that just helps you to take your next steps in your journey with Jesus now that you've uh, started with that. So, again, can we give those that made the decision just a, a huge hand here this evening? <laughs>